the Plugged In Podcast, a new project from the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. I'm a policy analyst here at the Institute for Energy Research. Joining me today to discuss current trends in the natural gas industry is George Stark, the Director of External Affairs at Cabot Oil and Gas. George, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Alex, thanks for having me. Look forward to it. To start, why don't you just give us a little bit about your background? How did you get into the natural gas industry and uh, your role there at Cabot? So, Alex, my background is one of having worked in the state capital. Uh, upon graduating from college, I went to work for the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and had the pleasure of always working in either the conservation or energy space. And with Cabot coming to Pennsylvania 10 years ago, I was the Director of uh, Governmental Affairs for Columbia Gas, uh, the LDC, the company that brought the gas to Pittsburgh and York. And Cabot saw the opportunity to expand their presence, gave me an opportunity to jump over to them. So it's been 10 years now for me at Cabot. And I can tell you this, Cabot is focused on making certain that everything we do in Pennsylvania is word right. And that's really the, the upside for being a, such a large producer in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, we like to say we're the largest producer of dry gas in Pennsylvania. And all of our operations are in Susquehanna County. So we're in one county, yet we're producing every day three BCF of natural gas. It's an amazing amount of gas, so much that, you know, 10 years ago, there was zero being produced in our area. And that's the biggest difference. It, it took a long time to get folks to be aware and accustomed to what it is we were doing, especially on our side of the state, on the eastern side. So it's been a great time. We've uh, accomplished a lot in 10 years. We could see a run rate out for another 50 years, though. It's unbelievable what's occurring. Yeah, so the past decade you've been there with Cabot or so, uh, you've sort of seen the whole shale revolution firsthand. I guess for the past couple years, the biggest story has been natural gas prices in general, the lows in 2016. We've sort of slowly been recovering from that. Can you just talk a little bit about what that low price environment has been like for developing in Marcellus shale? Yeah, you know, when, when you think about the, the, you know, in the very beginning when we started, you know, gas was easily at $3 and, you know, you, you were now looking for more opportunity to drill, bring it to the uh, surface. And it's amazing is because we found so much natural gas. You know, it, it was it was not understood as to how prolific our wells would be. The story I like to tell is when we brought folks out for the first time, what we'd like to say is if we drill a well in Oklahoma, Colorado, Texas, and it produces over its life 1 billion cubic feet of natural gas, that would be a home run. When Cabot drilled the first well in Pennsylvania, it produced 6 BCF. And it was like, what? Wait a minute. One BCF's a home run. And that, we're talking over 30 years of its life. This one comes on at six. It progressed every year. Six went to eight. Eight went to 12. 12 went to 16. Today, Alex, the average well in Pennsylvania in Cabot's portfolio, when we drill it, it's on average to produce 27 BCF over the, its life. I tell that story because I want to show just how much supply is there. 
So the wonderful news is we've produced an amazing amount of abundant, affordable natural gas. But it also has a downside. It has the downside of you've now put that much gas onto the market. So what was $3 at MCF, you know, you're now down to $1.50. And make no doubt about it, uh, when your price drops like that, you have to come up with ways to be more efficient and more effective. So the upside is we know the natural gas is there. We have gotten so efficient in our delivery, in our production, we've actually lowered our cost to drill and can bring that gas onto the surface to homes, still profitable, but make no doubt about it, it is definitely in 2014 when we saw that lull on our end, it did impact our operations. We had to step back, reorganize, but today we're back to where we were and we're operating efficiently. We just need to create the demand for the product. And the most wonderful thing that's happening right in our backyard is electric generation. So again, I gave you those numbers of what would be normal and where we are. Oftentimes in my prior life, when I was with the, the utility, a large industrial customer would want to have a supplier and a backup. Sure. Makes sense. I don't want to be held, you know. Uh, so what happens is these very large electric generating facilities come online in Northeast Pennsylvania. And there are, in Pennsylvania, there's at least a dozen of them built. Two of them approached Cabot, and Cabot worked with them closely. We are the sole provider of their natural gas. Now, we're talking about billion dollar, $1 billion plants. One's in Luzerne County, one is in Lackawanna County. But each of those every day is producing electricity for thousands of homes. We are the independent sole provider of natural gas. So we have the supply, it's proven. Now we get it to a market in our backyard. That has been a real big upside for us to have that opportunity to utilize that gas locally in Pennsylvania. Sure, I know one of the uh, parts of that discussion about prices has been impediments to bringing natural gas to markets, uh, particularly in the Northeast. I know last winter you saw energy prices spike in New York and Boston, and an issue that we've worked on quite a bit here at IER and tried to explain to people why that's happening. Uh, it's always interesting to hear the industry perspective uh, you, you guys working in Northeast Pennsylvania, I'm sure it's something that you guys follow very closely. Uh, There's no doubt we follow it closely. We live it, uh, uh, you know, again, my home's in Pittsburgh. Our operations are in Susquehanna County. It's six hours apart. But what I can tell you is it's a whole nother weather front apart. What I mean by that is it might be 38 and sunny in Pittsburgh. It's going to be 28 and snowy in Susquehanna County where we're operating. If it's 28 and snowy in Susquehanna, it's probably 18 in New England. So here we are less than 250 miles away, an abundant supply of American domestic fuel that we can't get to those customers in New England. We have landowners who we're drilling on their land and they are pleased as punch because they see the low-cost energy that's being delivered to Wilkes-Barre, to Scranton, to Harrisburg, to Philadelphia. 
they have relatives in New England who are crying the blues. Wait a minute, wait, you're, you're paying less than $2 and we're paying 12? How can that be? And the reality is we are awash in natural gas in Pennsylvania, except some elected officials, some politicians have made decisions to pander to anti-development folks to say, we don't need pipelines. Well, we fully believe you need pipelines because we see the benefits when it's cold. This is natural gas that's being delivered to heat hospitals, to heat schools, to run uh, manufacturing plants. You get into an eight degree day in Boston, in Rhode Island, in anywhere else in the New England states, they're struggling to meet their energy needs. And again, year in, year out, they have to bring tankers into Boston Harbor that ultimately have their gas originating from Russia. Why does it make sense to pay top shelf prices to Vladimir Putin and his government when you've got landowners in Pennsylvania with relatives living in New England? Those New England relatives would be in essence paying their relatives in Pennsylvania for that gas. That's how this works because they're partial owners of that natural gas. The gas that we can't get into New England ends up going elsewhere. Meanwhile, those in New England are harmed financially. Businesses are impacted to the negative. Job manufacturers, job seekers move out of the New England states because the fuel costs are too much. Sure, yeah, the uh, the Russian imports is interesting because it highlights just how complex actually the policy environment is there because of things like the Jones Act. You can't then move it from the Gulf to Boston uh, yes. at, at, at a reasonable price. So local policy issues, but then also at the national level, we see impediments as well. It, and it's amazing because, you know, you, you referenced the Jones Act and, you know, one of the benefits is... There is a facility in Maryland referred to as Cove Point, and it is an export facility of LNG. It's a smaller plant. It's maxed out today. Dominion runs it. Cabot supplies it with natural gas. But instead of that gas leaving the eastern shore of New England and by cargo going up to Boston, it can't. The Jones Act stands in its way. Cabot's gas ends up leaving New I'm sorry, ends up leaving Cove Point outside of, again, Maryland. It goes to Japan. 23 days from being at Cove Point to being used in Japan. That's what we see. I mean, it's efficient as well as affordable for the Japanese to take it from us. To go through the, the redone Panama Canal all the way over we talk about this often with our employees, with our contractors, so they have a real appreciation for what they're doing. As I said, you know, 12 years ago, no gas being produced, no natural gas being produced in Susquehanna County. Today, some of the best wells on the planet, and they're serving Japan. It's impressive when you really stop and think about that opportunity. But that's when you realize just how frustrating it is to say, wait a minute, the Japanese can utilize our natural gas, yet somehow the governor of New York stops it from being utilized in New England? Give me a break.
This is poor policy. This doesn't make economic sense. This is pandering to anti-development types who want to promote an agenda of renewables. The reality is when you look at energy types, natural gas assist renewables. Renewables are not reliable. They're not always, the wind's not always blowing, the sun's not always shining. When it is, they work. Utilize them. But when it's not working and it's eight degrees outside or colder, you need natural gas as your backup. And that's where the, the folly of Cuomo and the sadness is the rest of the elected officials in New England. They ought to be knocking on Cuomo's door saying, why are you choking us off? Because at the same time, New England, I'm sorry, the same time New York is stopping further development, they're one of the leading states of utilization, of use of natural gas. So the, the irony and the hypocrisy of, oh, no, 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 we're not going to have it. You build new to get through our state to go other areas. But the pipelines that we already have, we're going to use them fully for our folks. Again, truly hypocritical. Sure. And I, ideally, you know, we wouldn't have to have it one way or the other where, you know, it's just being used for domestic use or there's, you know, opportunity for exports. Like there's a lot of potential to expand on uh, exports to LNG. Can you just talk a little bit about where you see the growth of LNG exports heading the next couple of years? And when you think about it, what, what we want to tell people, and again, I'll go back just for a moment to that notion of how productive our wells are. And you got to keep that as the base. Because there are folks that will say, well, wait a minute, this is American fuel. Why are we exporting it? Why aren't we keeping it for ourselves? And the reality is our wells, the production is so great. You know, we've all seen the, the Frito-Lay commercial, eat all you want, we'll make more. That's the reality. We have enough natural gas that we could satisfy Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, New England, gas of ours at Cabot is going all the way south to Alabama, to South Carolina. And we still have enough to export it. So just for a second, if you think about it, if I'm a farmer and instead of producing natural gas, I'm producing uh, corn, soybeans, that's something that you export. And it's something that benefits the farmers, the workers, and it also benefits the American economy that we could trade. And what we know is we have enough soybeans, we have enough natural gas to get it there. So now, with the realization that there's enough to go around, we know that you have a choice to get your energy from Russia, Venezuela, the Middle East, or the US of A. Where do you think you want to get it from, from a standpoint of projecting energy independence, also projecting energy dominance? That's what we're able to do by taking the amount of natural gas and getting it to Japan, our allies, getting it over to Europe. Because as much as Europe wants to go with reducing their amount of coal being burned and bringing in cleaner fuels, the reality is they don't also have a, re a reliable effort on renewables. Germany's making plans on wind and solar, but you also know that Germany cannot manage 
its energy needs simply from renewables. They need natural gas. They're building additional pipelines today to get it from Russia. Yeah, I think the uh, the ramifications of energy or of the U.S. becoming an energy exporter, um, it's tough to understate how big of a change that is for global markets because those countries that you've mentioned historically really been sort of characterized by either conflict or you know things that are interrupting markets where the United States obviously one of the most stable economic environments you know and it's a unique change and and you said it reliable and you also reduce volatility you know when 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 it seemed like Venezuela was a good idea and then the government decided to go sideways now you got a problem in Venezuela you go look at the Middle East it's never been stable the reality is it's always in conflict when you think today about what Iran wants to do and what Saudi Arabia wants to do I mean there is a distinct battle taking place there and so much comes from Saudi Arabia with Iran's meddling it's not predictable why do you want to put your future there when you have a better space in the US of A to get it from because while Russia might be stable look what their dollars are being used for it's propping up the government that's exporting terrorism these are areas where folks they don't want to think about it it's inconvenient for them but they realize they have to they got to look where their energy's coming from and i want folks to think about it it's like corn it's like soybean it's a commodity that we ought to be proud we could sell on the world market express democracy in the process free market and again get people working with our government more closely aligned instead of again problematic areas that are that are going to promote a terrorism effort they're going to actually have more instability why do you want that to be your future when we have it right here and we have it in abundance yeah, yesterday i had the opportunity to speak with your colleague bill derogers about the shale revolution and just the history of how we've been able to take advantage of uh, america's energy resources i wonder are there any technologies that are sort of on the horizon that are we can either look forward to or that people are really excited about in uh, natural gas or specifically in the Marcella shale? I think I think the the biggest thing from a technology standpoint and I'm going to answer the question sort of two way. Number one, on our side, on the production side. I mentioned earlier that we're much more efficient today than when we were even 10 years ago. When we would do when you know myself would give a rig tour 10 years ago, I would say things like it takes us 45 days to drill a well. That well today takes us mm, 12 45 down to 12. It would take us 6 days to move the equipment from one location to another. Today it takes us 70 hours the savings and the new technology that we've brought to our operations to make us more efficient, more effective, it's impressive because today we end up using greater horsepower. The the technology that goes into our production is world class and you're seeing the outcome of it. So now we can tell you how much we're going to be able to produce which then goes to large-scale electric generation we're we've got it working in Lackawanna Luzerne again throughout Pennsylvania those plants it I mean 
Fuel management is simply a pipeline in. If you've ever gone past a coal-fired plant, normally they're on the river, you're barging coal in, you're railing coal in, you've got very large coal piles, which are the potential fuel. You gotta move that fuel inside to the facility. You gotta take the ash that's produced, move it outside, figure out. A lot of effort goes into simple fuel management. That's where the, actually the workforce is. When you think about it just coming in on a pipeline, burning, and then there's no nothing else out the tailpipe in a sense. There's no ash or waste. That's the efficiency that we gain, which then knocks down your electric cost. So what we're liking is we're liking the idea that companies now realize that, wait a minute, my electricity costs are that much less in the Pennsylvania market. Cabot's showing that they can guarantee a reliable, steady stream of natural gas. Wait, if I'm going to make a company that makes methanol, or if I'm going to make fertilizer, if I'm going to make urea, I could do that here in Pennsylvania. So that's the new technology. Now, I don't want to say it's new as in unique because it's happening elsewhere. What makes it new is we've got such an abundant amount of natural gas that instead of offshoring that into a third world country, you can do it here. And that's where companies are saying, wait a minute, I could do this work locally. I can make methanol, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Those are the markets where now companies are looking to build and expand. You know, the, the shell cracker in Western Pennsylvania is just an example. For the first time, you're having in essence, ethanes or anes built out of the Gulf Coast. It's that opportunity that we see in Northeast Pennsylvania that you can locate brand new petrochemical plants to build, again, for fertilizer. Look at the agricultural industry. It's a growing, always uh, field. We can handle their fertilizer needs. Methanol itself is used in so many other products. You can do that locally. Pennsylvania has wonderful rail as well as water resources to get these products out. That's what we're excited about that's down the line in the future. Yeah, our interview with Bill yesterday, that was something that we touched on was uh, just the, the way that the success of the natural gas industry has opened up opportunities for other uh, industries as well. Um, I know that a big part of what you guys are about at Cabot is uh, not just creating that opportunity just through just normal day-to-day -day business interactions. Bill talked very passionately about your guys' investment in education and healthcare. And is there anything that's uh, coming down the pike that you're really excited about that you think our listeners would be interested in? I, I, I think the, the piece that has me most excited is, you know, again, when you talk about our commitment to the community and the, you know, the future of where this industry is going and where the jobs are going. It's the understanding that the amount of technology, big data, artificial intelligence that we utilize ourselves. If there's something that I want to get across to parents, to guidance counselors, to students, 
you know, today are the age. I have three children. I mean, the way they learn, the way they apply their knowledge is so much faster than what my wife and I would have done. And that too often they're not prepared to understand how advanced the energy industry is. You know, and again, the, you, you've heard it always, oh, there's an app for that. Well, the reality is in our industry, our completions jobs, I could watch it on an app. I could affect it. I could change it from my handheld device to make drilling go slower, go faster. The completions happen sooner or later. It's getting this information out so that when that new generation that's impressed with Amazon, that's impressed with Uber and with what Google's doing and automatic, you know, or, or uh, automated cars. I love it all, but I want folks to know that we use the exact same data ourselves. Why can we, you know, 45 days in 10 years ago to drill a well, today to 12? It's because we've taken big data, we've looked at it, we've crunched it, we know so much more now, and that's how we can be efficient in our drilling. I mentioned the idea that it took us six days to move a rig, and today it takes us 70 hours. It's the same idea that goes into Uber or Google when you're looking at how do I do this more efficiently? So what I see coming down the line is this constant evolution of energy and technology that I want to ensure that parents and students see that change and get excited to have their children or to find their career in the energy space. You know, do we work outside? Yes. Do we take the best of technology? Absolutely. And I don't think it's understood, appreciated that that's what it is we're doing. To me, that's our biggest challenge. And therefore, how do you tackle that one? You've got to get into schools. You've got to go meet with college students to talk about and showcase how entrepreneurial we are as an industry. Over my time, 10 years, there was a company uh, called Keen. They do our completions work. Five years ago, they didn't exist. Today, they're the fourth largest completions company. Somebody took a business risk financially and it's paid off financially for them. But what they also were able to do is they were able to take technology and look at what was to what is today and employ today's technology. I bring this up because when we go to college classes, we actually go to the economics classes. We go to the entrepreneur classes and well, your energy, you're about producing natural gas. Yes, but we're also about growing the economy. We're about growing entrepreneurs. Here it is again. Keen is that, they've grown to that company and they we utilize them primarily in Northeast Pennsylvania. They're our largest uh, completions company. And it's meant a world of difference to them as a company. We have a chance to tour their facility in uh, right outside of Williamsport, Pennsylvania. 300 Pennsylvanians are working out of their location. It's impressive to see and it's all cutting edge technology. And again, it's not backbreaking work, it's mind using work. You've got to understand the technology, you've got to put it to place. And again, 
It's the number one thing that we see in getting people to appreciate just how much technology goes into what it is we do and how we need the youth of today. They have a place in our industry. The way in which they game, the way in which they utilize technology, we need them to bring that back to our industry. So I think that's the piece that might get lost on people that it's impressive how much we need it. And then once you get over to those petrochemical companies, how much they use it in their production. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think our listeners would like to know? I, I think at the end of the day, Alex, I think we covered a lot. I think, you know, the, that base that the, the amount of the resource is there, it's something we ought to be proud of to have the ability to export. It is a commodity. It does make America stronger. And when you think about putting that export, whether it's to another state from uh, Pennsylvania to Ohio, or if it's from the U.S. to Japan, it's the workforce we need to get that, to continue that into the future. It's impressive. These are good paying jobs. These are jobs with a real uh, career towards them, a real future. And it's getting the public to really appreciate what it is we do, how we do it, and for how long into the future we will be doing it. My guest today has been George Stark from Cabot Oil & Gas. George, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Once again, thank you. Appreciate it.